But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man doesn't know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As, to the, good one, as the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears, as is he who shuns an oath. Thank you, Rich, for reading that. That's going to be the beginning part of our passage this morning. We're going to go on and continue through verse 12. Let's take a moment once again and just go to the Lord in silent prayer. And I ask you to ask God to work in your own heart this morning uh, through the preaching of the word. So let's go to the Lord in silent prayer for just a moment. God, your word is quick and powerful, and it cuts to the deepest parts of our soul. And we need that this morning. We need encouragement. We need hope. We need areas that need to be addressed in our lives for repentance. And so, God, would you please accomplish your will through your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In football, there's something called the hurry-up offense. A team is down by four points, and the clock is running down. They need a touchdown before time runs out. And so the team that's losing has the ball. They enter into this hurried-up, no-huddle pace. They run a play till someone's tackled. They jump back up. The referee is moving, getting the ball to the line of scrimmage. The team is rushing up to the line of scrimmage. The quarterback is calling the play, and they hike the ball again hoping to get another 5, 10, 20 yards. Players start running more and more frantically as the clock keeps tipping, ticking down, 49, 48, 47. More rush, more plays. And then there's players who are out there on the field or on the sidelines with some regret of something that happened earlier in the game. Perhaps it was a fumble. Maybe it was just a botched play where they missed a block Perhaps it was just a dropped pass. Clock keeps ticking, 27, 26. Quick, get the play in. We want to accomplish more. Eventually it's five, four, three. The end is coming. Death is certainly not a pleasant thought for us. I don't like to think of it for myself. I don't like to think of it for people who are close to me. But we know that it's true. The clock is ticking for all of us. It's winding down. And in this passage this morning, what Solomon does is he moves us into this uncomfortable topic, this uncomfortable discussion for the purpose of helping us live our lives more wisely. Just as the football players would look back at the game and say, we should have, so there are ways in which we live our life with the clock continually ticking down And Solomon is giving us the wisdom in which we should now with the clock that's ticking. The big idea for the sermon is simply this. We all will die, therefore enjoy what God has given you. That's where Solomon is leading us. 
We all will die, therefore, therefore enjoy what God has given you. All right, so point number one is just taken from our big idea. We all will die. And we're looking at verses one through six and then 11 through 12. Now, we know that Solomon is talking about death in this section, especially if you move down to verse three. Verse three says that this is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. This event that Solomon is talking about is of all the seven billion people that are living right now in the world, unless Jesus comes back, we all will die. We're going to face it. All people who have been living up to this point, with the exception of Enoch and Elijah who were taken up, all people have experienced a last breath. Metaphorically speaking, our bodies are going to be put in the pine box. I know some might be cremated. Lower down into the earth, dirt is going to be piled up on top of the box. We all will die. Now there's three characteristics that Solomon brings into this. Three characteristics that help us move through this discussion. The first one is this, that death is under the sovereignty of God. Death is under the sovereignty of God. And you see this in verse 1. He says, But all this I laid to heart, examining it, how the righteous and the wise. And notice, he's, he's talking about God's people here with the righteous and the wise. Examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds, all that happens in their life are in the hand of God. That phrase, the hand of God, describes God's sovereignty, his ability to rule and reign over all the events in life, all the deeds that happen in our life. We see this phrase throughout the Old Testament. Let me just give you two passages. 1 Samuel 5, verse 11. You might remember when the ark was captured by the Philistines, and so God brought the ark back. It says, they sent, therefore, and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place that it may not kill us and our people. So here's the explanation. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was heavy there. God was sovereignly at work in the lives of the Philistines to push the ark back to Israel. We see it again in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 12, under the rule of Hezekiah. Hezekiah had brought the people together for worship, and he says this, that the hand of God was also on Judah. And notice where the hand of God is at work here. The hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of God. So the physical realm, God was at work in bringing this ark back to Israel, and then even in the if you can say the spiritual realm in our hearts, God is at work in our hearts to do and accomplish what he desires. So Solomon is just simply bringing a truth forward as he starts this discussion about death, that God is in control of all the events of your life. From start to finish, he controls the seasons as we saw earlier in Ecclesiastes chapter three. There's a time to be born and there's a time to die. However, 
I love how Solomon is willing to just take another step into this truth about God's sovereignty. He tells us that we don't always know God's motives. We're not always sure why he does what he does. Look at verse 1 again. All their deeds are in the hand of God. But look what's next. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. That, now, that's a loaded statement. God does not hate his covenant people in the way that we think of hatred. A way to understand that phrase is pleasure or displeasure. As Christians, we know that God's wrath toward us has been satisfied in Christ. Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you can think about that in terms of wrath or hatred. God's wrath has been satisfied in Christ. God does not hate you this morning. I want you to know that. Solomon is asking the question, he relates to us at times, and sometimes we don't know if it's out of his pleasure towards us or if it's out of his displeasure towards us. For example, when we sin against God, God is not pleased with that, and he can respond to us in his displeasure towards our sins. So in Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible tells us that whom God loves, he also disciplines. And he can carry out this discipline because sin has happened in our life and he sees us walking away from him in sin and it's like he throws a lasso to us that lands and he gives it a tight jerk and we say, ow, that hurts. Well, he's doing that because of his displeasure towards our actions, towards our sin. There's other times in life where we feel like the lasso has been pulled and we're asking ourselves the question, God, I don't, I, like, I can see back then that I was walking in sin, I was walking away from you, and you disciplined me because of the displeasure towards my sin. But this, I don't know. I, I, I can't see whether it's out of displeasure or it's out of pleasure because sometimes, James 1, God's bring trials into our lives, not because of sin, but because he just wants to form us. So on one hand, he's correcting us out of displeasure, on the other hand, he's forming us and building us up because of his pleasure. He doesn't want us to plateau, so he pushes us. And it hurts sometimes. And Solomon is like, man, the sovereignty of God where he controls all things, there's a mystery to it because we don't know all the time how he's relating to us, whether it's out of love or hate, pleasure or displeasure here. If we're honest with ourselves and with the Bible, we know that God is in control of all things from the time life starts to the time life ends, but we do not know why he does what he does. But there is one thing certain that we do know that Solomon keeps pushing forward with God's sovereignty over top of it all. The end is coming. Tick, 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 tick. So he moves into verses two and three, that death is certain. Death is certain. Again, in verse 2, he says this, It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns the oath. Verse 3, This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live and after that they go to the dead. 
it happens. Death happens. Death is that last great enemy that we will all face. Death comes to all people. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death spread through sin, or death through sin, and so death has spread to all men because all have sinned. Now, death is here. Why is it here? It's here as the result of our sins. So every time that we attend a funeral, we're reminded that we're not perfect. We're reminded that death has come into the world because of sin. Sin against God brings this death. And so it's certain for us. What's bothersome for Solomon now, and again, he, he just has this way of stating the truth, and now he just pushes it a little bit further for us to think about. What's bothersome for Solomon is that death does not discriminate between the good and the evil. Like, so death is this last enemy, and it sure would be nice if that last enemy only had to be faced by the bad people. I mean, shouldn't the good people get a break? So he says here, it comes to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice, to him who is good and him who is a sinner, to him who swears and to him who shuns an oath. All people have the same fate. We will live our lives and go about our business, and on an appointed day, we will meet death. Doesn't matter if you've been the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, Billy Graham, or Adolf Hitler, or Mussolini, or some bad person throughout history. You will die. And so Solomon's just, he's bringing that along. He's going to give us like some weight with that. We all die. Now he switches gears for just a few minutes, a few moments here in verses 4 through 6. Three characteristics about life. So it's like, okay, we all die, but we're not dead yet. Okay, so here's something that he wants us to think about while we're alive. It says here in verse 4, but he who is joined with the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Okay, so if I'm not dead, what are some characteristics about life right now? The first one is that you have hope. And he compares this with an interesting picture here. Um, the dog. I know many of you have dogs and you love your dogs. They're like man's best friend. Well, in ancient Israel, uh, a dog was like a rat, a possum. It was dirty. It was unclean. It was filthy. And on the other hand, you have the lion. The lion was majestic. The lion's kind of this king of the animal world. And he looks at this and he sees a dead lion that's laying there and a living rat over here. And he says the living rat is actually better off than that dead lion. Why? Because the one that's alive, you still have hope. There's hope that's present no matter where your life has been. You still have hope. You still have time to do some things. Second characteristic about the living is that you are still able to know. Look at verse 5. He said, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Okay, second characteristic, while you're living, you're able to think. You're able to process things. Third characteristic is that you have emotions. Look at verse 6. 
He says, their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. Now, notice the contrast there. Love on one side, positive. Hate on the other side. Envy, desiring to have things. He's like covering the full spectrum of some of our emotions here. He says, that's all perished, and they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. So the living can enjoy things right now. You can enjoy each other's company. You can enjoy a good show. You can enjoy, you know, good book, all of that stuff. Solomon is just saying that when you're alive, you have the opportunity of another day in a way that you won't have when you're dead. Death is final. Death is certain. Now, if you're a non-Christian, let me just talk to you for a couple moments. This is especially important, that death is certain. Um, When death happens... You're done. It's finished. This life is finished. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 and following say this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. <clears throat> for our sake, he made him, that's Christ, to be no sin, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And so, Paul's point here, as he's looking at folks, is he's saying, there's a message that needs to be known that God's grace is available for you today, today. I don't want you to receive it in vain. I don't want you to discard it. I don't want you to see it in your hands and and throw it aside like it's just something to be recycled, something that goes out along the curb. Here's God's grace that must be received. And we need God's grace because as what we saw earlier, we're all sinners. And as we stand before a holy God, we deserve just judgment. The wrath of God will be poured out against sinners because of how holy God is. And Paul's good news is this. Yes, while judgment is coming, we want you to note that you can be reconciled to God so that judgment does not have to be your lot. And this comes through God's grace that is given to you in the person of Jesus. So Jesus lived a perfect human life, obedient to the Father. No sin was in his life. He went to the cross and died in our place and took the judgment from God that we deserved, and he offers his life as a gift to anyone who will receive it in faith, the gift of perfect obedience so that you can stand and be reconciled to God so that you don't have to face judgment. Now notice what he says here. He says, when should this happen? He says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you do not have the grace of God, if you have not believed in Jesus as your Savior, death is certain. Now is the time you need to do that. That's what the Bible says. Judgment is coming. It will be too late on the other side of death. You must be reconciled to God. And that good news 
is that Christ is the gift that you receive in faith. Now, the point of all of this is that death is final. Death marks the end of our earthly chapter. It's the end of human relationships on earth, human enjoyments on earth, human possibilities in this world. Once the curtain of death falls, once the clock hits zero, it's final. The show will be over. It's done. And if we skip down to verses 11 and 12, there's a third characteristic about death. That is this, that death is sudden. Death is sudden. So look at verse 11. Again, I saw that under the sun, life here on earth, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. What he's saying is typically we expect the race to go to the swift. Typically we would expect them to win or the strong to win the battle or the, the wise people would have enough food or the intelligent would have their riches. But he's saying it's not always that way in life. You look at things and you're like, sometimes the strong lose the battle. Sometimes the swift trip and fall. Sometimes the good people don't win everything. everything. So then look what he says here in verse 12. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of men are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Death comes suddenly. The fish that gets caught in the gill net never saw the strings that would hang it up. The bird hopping around on the ground looking for a worm never saw the snare that would catch its neck. It happens like that. So you might be the healthiest person. You might be the strongest person, but none of us know if there's a cancerous spot in our body that's incubating and is about ready to spread like wild. None of us are guaranteed that our body is not going to throw a clot and we're going to have an aneurysm at some point. Or that there might be a car in our blind spot coming across the intersection when we have a green light and we're T-boned and it's lights out at that point. It's just sudden. Death comes. And what Solomon is getting at is you do have life right now. You have life right now. So what are we to do? Well, this is where he's been moving us along. And if you've been following us through Ecclesiastes, we know that there's a lot of life that's lived in struggle. It's lived in vain. But now he says, okay, this is life. Now let's look at it wisely. How should we live this life and point number two is simply enjoy what God has given you. Enjoy what God has given you. Because death is certain, and he's put that around verses 7 through 10, enjoy what God has given you. So look what he says here in verse 7. I'll read it down through verse 10. He says, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Okay, so Solomon is returning to something familiar. Uh, we've been talking about this. This is actually the fifth or sixth time that we have seen Solomon lead us through life and then point us to enjoying life. So here are the passages that we've seen so far. 
There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. Chapter 3, verse 12. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Verse 22. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Chapter 5, verse 18. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. And again, he comes back to it now in chapter 9, that we ought to enjoy life. So question, are you enjoying life? Uh, Were there seasons of enjoyment this past week? Were there times where you had a smile on your face because of what God had given to you, and you saw that as a gift from God, and you saw, "This this is enjoyable for me right now? So I'm saying, death is certain. Now live wisely. Enjoy life. As we move into this category, I thought, okay, there are times when we think about death coming, and we think, okay, what about those other important things that need to be done? Like, wouldn't he have me share the gospel with my lost cousin, who I know needs to hear the truth? Wouldn't he have me plug into my local church and plug into the lives of other people and share what God is teaching me? Wouldn't he have me draw closer to him in word and prayer? Why does Solomon go here, like, enjoy things? Well, those aren't bad things. Those are right things to do. Those are commandments that should be done. But that's not all of life. It just isn't. And here's Solomon saying, here's day-to-day life. You're going to wake up in the morning. You're going to sit down at the breakfast table. All right, start enjoying things. So four enjoyments. Number one, enjoy your food. Enjoy your food. We talked about this in chapter 8 earlier. Solomon says, I commend you to joy. Man has nothing better in the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. Now here in chapter 9, he says, go, go, eat your food and drink your wine. This idea of go has this idea of being proactive. It's, it's time to, to be assertive here now. Think about what God has given to you and go to those things and enjoy them. He talks about wine here. Wine was a common drink in Israel. Wine might not be your thing for conscience sake or for taste sake. You might enjoy a hot cup of tea or a strong cup of coffee or an orange juice with pulp in it that you can still just sort of feel the sour sweetness to it. I like a cold glass of cranberry juice. It's got that bite to it. Some of you, Mountain Dew, I just can't go there. I don't see that in scripture anywhere, okay? At least root beer was taken from a root, okay? (laughs) You're saying, yeah, Mountain Dew, it comes from the mountains or something like that that God made. No, no. All right, but anyhow, look, in all seriousness, we look at the mundane things of life, and they almost become forgotten to us, don't they? We look at the food that God has created for us, and okay, here's another snack as we're on the fly. Well, think about this. In verse 7, It says, go and eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For what reason? For God has already approved what you do. Meaning this. 
God brought his creation into existence for his glory, but also for your enjoyment. I mean, think about that for just a minute. God brought this marvelous creation into existence. And yes, he gets to stand back and say, this glorifies me. And it does. He's the creator behind all of these good things. But then as humans, on day six, he makes us and he says, now I'm nudging you into creation. Go, subdue the earth, exercise power over it. Enjoy it. Now, on day six, when God made us, he also made us with hands to handle food. He made us with tongues and taste buds. Put that food in your mouth. Let it move across those taste buds. Those synapses start firing. Those chemicals start firing. And all of a sudden, your mind just starts to go, wow, this is so good. Do you know every time you go, wow, this is so good, you're glorifying God because he made it that way? What if God didn't create you with taste buds? Wouldn't it be so mechanical, like, oh, I got to go to the gas station again to fill up because my stomach's on empty. And so I just put matter into my stomach, and here we go again. I've got fuel now. No, God made you with the capacity for enjoyment. And these are good things for us to enjoy. So Thanksgiving, next week, here comes the turkey with some crispy skin on the outside, some seasoning out there, some juicy Dark meat in there. If you enjoy the gizzards, put them in the cavity. I love those things. Then there's the sweet potatoes. There's going to be that stuffing. Maybe some of you are going to have some venison or a ham on the side, some cranberry sauce, a green bean casserole, rolls with butter, pumpkin pie, apple pie. All of that stuff is going to hit your tongue and you're going to go, wow, that's pretty good. You know, in that moment, God is saying, yes, I created it for you to enjoy. That's a good thing. Death is coming. Enjoy Thanksgiving. Enjoy your food next week. Second, enjoy your fellowship. Look what he says in verse eight. Let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head. <clears throat> Obviously, this is not language that we're familiar with, so what's going on here? You remember that when people were in mourning, they lost a loved one, they would put dark clothes, that coarse sackcloth on, they'd put ashes on their head, and they'd go about mourning, weeping the loss of someone. On the other hand, to go to a feast, to go to a party, you would put white garments on. You'd put ointments on. You'd put perfumes on. And where do they go? They go on your head. You want to smell good. And Solomon is saying, it's time to enjoy life. Get together with people. That's the idea here, that God has put people together. Now, go, put your garments on, get dressed, go out, have some fun with folks. Have somebody over to your house. Ask someone if they'd like to go out to eat and meet you someplace for supper. Put something on other than your yard clothes. Put some deodorant on too. Like smell nice. And when you go out, it's time to have fun. Let your guard down. Don't be so uptight all the time. Maybe you have people over and you play a game and 
just enjoy that good bantering that goes back and forth and that laughing that takes place. Can you imagine, just figuratively speaking, our Heavenly Father looking over down into your home as you're enjoying a good game at the table, bantering back and forth, and him smiling and saying, yes, I, I designed them to be able to do this. This is good. I want to see them enjoy life. Enjoy fellowship with other believers. If that's been something that's been lacking in your life, you're probably not enjoying life. And the more that you pull away from people, probably the more depressed you are. Enjoy life. Enjoy other people. Third, he says in verse 9, to live wisely because death is coming, enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Marriage is a gift that God has given to us as humans. He created man and woman on day six. And there's Adam, who is all alone, and he's looking at the animals. And it's clear that there is no one there who is suitable for him. So God puts him into a deep sleep, and out of his side, he takes a rib and forms woman from this rib. Adam wakes up, and it's like his eyes are open to something beautiful, and he says, at last! Those words, at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. There is someone here for me to enjoy life, to go through life with. God has designed man and woman to come together in marriage with the capacity, yes, to enjoy sexual pleasure, but that's not it, all that Solomon is talking about. Notice what he says here. Notice the words. He says, enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Enjoy life, meaning go together and enjoy life together. So husbands, let me put this on you since the text puts it on you, puts it on us. God has brought in his sovereignty, as he controls all the deeds, he's brought a woman into your life. Now you and I are to cultivate enjoyment in life with her. So do you have regular rhythms regular practices in life where you aim to enjoy life with her? Is it a good restaurant that you've both agreed upon? Maybe it's a regular walk. Uh, perhaps it's a mini-series that you can watch after the kids go to bed or a game that you enjoy. Maybe it's just that you have a regular reading time at night or some place where you can go together and play a sport. Solomon's wisdom for us, God's wisdom for us, is enjoy life with the wife whom God has given you. Now, negatively, I can almost hear some guy saying, yeah, but you're not married to my wife. Well, if you do not enjoy her company while going through life, listen, guys, you're probably focused on how much she disappoints you and does not meet your expectations you're probably asking her to make your life enjoyable. And Solomon is saying, that's a wrong perspective now. Yes, is it right to enjoy your wife? Yes, we see that in other passages of Scripture. But his emphasis here is the clock is ticking. Enjoy life with the one whom God has put into your life. Enjoy life with your wife. So if some of you are too busy to enjoy life with your spouse, you're too busy. 
If you're too busy to enjoy life with your spouse, you're too busy. You need to make adjustments in life. Your wife is a gift. Enjoy life with her. Fourth, fourth enjoyment found in verse 10 is enjoy your projects. Verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and shield to which you are going. So this has the idea of whatever you apply yourself to. It could be work. It could be the projects. It could be the hobbies. There's nothing, nothing worse than seeing a job that you've done and you only put half your heart into it and you can tell. I mean, it's just sloppy. There's edges to it that look poor. Pour your heart into it. And why should we do this? Why should we apply our hands to this? Because God has made us to have dominion and exercise dominion over his creation. We're like miniature lords over God's creation. He's given us this responsibility. So whatever your hobby is, whatever your tasks are, do it with all of your might. Solomon's point here is the end is coming. So with what has been given to you, do it well. Now, Jesus agrees with this point. In John chapter 9, verse 4, there was a man who was blind, and Jesus came to this blind man and healed him. And notice why he healed him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. It's that idea that death is coming. Soon this will be impossible to do. We have to do what God has called us to. So are you enjoying life? Are you enjoying what God has given to you? There's a young person sitting on a bench at a birthday party. It's a beautiful day. This 10-year-old is sitting there with his chin in his hands, Meanwhile, there's cheeseburgers, there's cake, there's drinks at the food table. There's a bounce house that's right in front of them, and there are kids jumping around in it, laughing and screeching. There's a tire swing that drops from a platform. Kids are just having a thrill with it. There's a soda fountain with all the sweet drinks to enjoy. Clown is making balloons over in one corner of the yard, handing them out to the children who approach him. And there's a craft table where hammers are just banging away as they're making little birdhouses to take home. Everybody's having a good time. Meanwhile, this young person sits on the bench and just sulks. Sulks. All of this has been offered to this young person, yet he just sits there. And you look at him, and you think, there's something wrong. And so you go over, and you ask him, hey, why aren't you having fun right now? And he responds by saying, because I want to go to the amusement park. It's way bigger and better than this backyard right now. And you step back and you say, hmm, that's true. That amusement park covers way more acreage, has way more food stands, bigger rides, all that kind of stuff. But we're not at the amusement park. Sometimes Christians have this idea, well, since I'm not at heaven, this just stinks here. I'm waiting for heaven to come. And this, this is the world that's been affected by sin. It's fallen. It's filled with pain and suffering. This stinks here. We go through Ecclesiastes, and we look at this and we say, no, every good and perfect gift that comes down from the Father of lights is here for you to enjoy. 
as Christians, we recognize that God is the creator and he has given us his creation for us to enjoy. It points to his glory, but it is for your enjoyment. And so as we go through Ecclesiastes, we see the clock is ticking. So go, enjoy your food, enjoy your relationships, enjoy your marriage, enjoy your hobbies and your work, enjoy it all as a gift from God. He's given this all to you for your enjoyment. So go, enjoy these things this week. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for what you have provided for us. You are the creator God who has brought us into existence, a time to be born. You've placed us here in time and history right now, and there will be a time to die. God, we give you thanks for the salvation that you have offered to us. We know that today is the day of salvation. We thank you for your creation. As we look at it, it's certainly wonderful and it speaks to your glory. Thank you for the opportunity to enjoy these moments, to enjoy your creation. And so we ask for your help in this. As we look at Ecclesiastes, a wise way to live is to enjoy what you've given to us. So please help us with that. And folks, with maybe your heads bowed right now, just talk to the Lord in the quietness of your heart. If you're a non-Christian, what I really want you to take away from this sermon is that death is coming. And today is the day of salvation. We start there. Today, are you going to trust in Jesus as your Savior? The wrath of God is upon you until you do. And then, Christian, will you take a moment to thank God again for what he's given to us? Perhaps your attitude has been sinful in nature and you've been less than thankful. Just take some time to talk to the Lord in the quietness of your heart. I'll come back and pray. God, we give you thanks once again for your grace to us. Thank you for the things that we can enjoy. And I pray that our attitudes would reflect your goodness to us this week. We give you thanks for your saving grace that gives us our hope now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.